The Office of Personnel Management has yet to release regulations that would encourage agencies to stop asking about job applicants' salary histories. Some advocacy groups say agencies don't need to wait for OPM. The idea behind not asking is that it would help close the purported government-private sector pay gap, and that's a goal of OPM's strategic plan. Here with the latest, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Drew, this question gets asked about every 14 milliseconds, but at least every year. How big is that pay gap, do people think? So the most current data that we have is from September 2021, which tells us that the gender and racial pay gap for the civilian workforce is 5.9% for all employees. The pay gap for the federal workforce previously dropped from 19% in 1999 down to 7% in 2017. So it's certainly on a downward trend right now and seems to be continuing that way. But there is still some room to go to fully close the gap. That is the goal of OPM, as you mentioned, under their strategic plan for 2022 through 2026. And the goal is to completely close the federal pay gap. And so what is OPM trying to do about it? So for one, OPM plans to put out some guidance later this year this fall regarding the role of salary history. So that's looking at what applicants have made at previous jobs, whether that's in the private sector, a different agency, or someone who's left work and is now returning after some time off the job market. The guidance comes from an executive order from March that promotes pay transparency and equity. And in this upcoming release this fall, agencies will also get guidance on how to conduct pay equity reviews And they would have to report to both OPM and the White House about any changes that they make in their agency regarding pay equity. OPM's goal is to encourage agencies to stop asking about salary history when they're considering different applicants for a position or when they're setting initial salaries. Kira Nahusha, the director of OPM, recently affirmed that commitment at a press conference. But the timeline is still up in the air. We are working on guidance to encourage agencies to not use salary history as we have in the past. I will tell you, I personally suffered from that to some extent, coming from the nonprofit, coming uh, back into government the second time around. And the timing on that is, I, I know later this year, I don't have the exact timeline on that, but I, you know, we're coupling with a couple of other things that we're trying to plan around this broader diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility effort. And I guess she may not realize some of the breathtaking salaries that are in the nonprofit sector, but these advocacy groups, who are they and what are they saying about the OPM regulations? So for one, the Department of Justice Gender Equality Network, which is a federal advocacy group that's employee run, they said agencies shouldn't wait on OPM's guidance to start self-regulating their use of salary history in the hiring process. They said agencies can start acting now, When I spoke with DOJ Jen's president, Stacey Young, she said that there's nothing in any statutes or regulations that would require agencies to consider past salary when hiring new applicants. The group actually wants OPM to go further than just encouraging agencies not to use it. They think that there should be a complete ban on both asking for it and considering it. Basically, if they stop asking for it. An agency can still consider it if the if the job applicant raises their past salaries on their own. So Young said if OPM's guidance includes both pieces of that, it would follow the lead of, you know, 21 other states and a lot of major companies that have already implemented these full bans. And she said it would help to avoid perpetuating past pay inequities. All right. And this big difference that is said to be between the federal and private sectors People generally blame this on the GS pay scale charts, correct? 
That's right. The general schedule pay system for the federal government does account for some of the uh, difference between the pay gap for the private sector versus the federal sector. When we're looking at the average nationwide pay gap, it's 17 percent. And as I said earlier, it's 5.9 percent for federal employees. And Hoosier also said there's actually no gender pay gap for the second year in a row for the senior executive service. So there is that difference as well. She also said that uh, the smaller gap is in part because the federal pay system is more transparent. It includes more information in job announcements and the defined pay ranges make for a smaller gap. All right. And not everyone agrees the gap is in favor of the private sector, as a matter of fact, as you probably also found in your reporting. What are you hearing on that front? When I spoke to Ron Sanders, who is the former chairman of the Federal Salary Council, he told me that the rigidity of the general schedule pay system actually can cause more pay inequity. He said that the principal driver for any gender-based salary gap in the federal government is tenure. So basically, the longer you've worked in government, the higher level you'll be in the general schedule. And that means the larger pay will skew more towards men because they made up larger portions of the federal employees' uh, workforce in the past. So here's Sanders. Because of the way the government personnel system is structured, they progress further and have higher salaries as a consequence, not because they're men, but because they have more years of service. There's always going to be cases of individual bias, but institutional or systemic bias shouldn't happen under the general schedule. That's the good news. The bad news is the general schedule is archaic. It's been around for, you know, 70 years now, since the late 40s, early 50s. And it is that very rigid, very structured system that, on one hand, makes it very, 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 very hard, if not impossible, to discriminate on the basis of gender. But on the other hand, also makes it very difficult to bring in talent. Yeah, well, he's right on both counts. And of course, Ron Sanders was a federal chief human capital officer at some point and knows whereof he speaks. So no real resolution at this point. It's just rules from OPM and some people saying, don't wait for the rules. Go ahead and at least take that small step of not asking, well, what are you making now? Yeah, there seems to be some debate there, but we'll just have to see what OPM puts out and what they actually decide to do in the end. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, And uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. 
And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might've had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. 
I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.